I'm Chad Main, founder of legal services company Percipient, and this is Technically Legal, a podcast about legal technology and innovation in the legal industry. On today's episode, we're talking to attorney, author, and now legal tech founder, Eric Farber. On this episode, I talked to Eric Farber. He's the founder of Creators Legal, which is kind of like legal zoom for the entertainment industry and the creative types. People can go there to find contracts for all kinds of things like writer's agreements, licenses, NDAs, things like that. It makes sense that Eric would end up launching a legal tech company focused on creators. He's an attorney, but started his career in the entertainment industry. He started out working for a talent agency and then ended up heading up the business affairs department for a movie studio. Ultimately, he moved over to private practice where he represented entertainers and athletes. In fact... For many years, he represented Amaru Entertainment, which released Tupac Shakur's posthumous releases. As we will hear in 2008 with the economy in shambles, Eric, like many people out there, had to make a pivot. And that's when he launched Pacific Workers, which was initially a workers' compensation law firm focused on athletes, but later came to represent workers from all fields. So how is it after working in the entertainment industry and launching a law firm that Eric decides to launch a legal tech company? Well, one of Eric's contacts pointed out a few years ago that he always had great business advice, but never used it for himself. That comment resonated with Eric, and that's when he decided to launch Creators Legal. Based on his experience in the entertainment world, Eric knew that the vast majority of people creating art and intellectual property could not afford proper legal representation to protect their rights. When we talk about access to justice, entertainers or creators probably don't come top of mind, but they should, because just think about it. Just think about all the stories we've heard throughout the years about musicians and artists creating great stuff and not making a dime on it. Starving artists just isn't always the same. So with that in mind, Eric set out to do something about it and created a website that creators can go to and find legal documents and agreements to help them protect their rights and help them create businesses around the art that they are creating. Although Eric mostly sat on the legal side of the table in the entertainment industry, he's also a creative type himself. He wrote a book a couple years ago called The Case for Culture. How to Stop Being a Slave to Your Law Firm, Grow Your Practice, and Actually Be Happy. The inspiration from the book was the company Pacific Workers, which I'm still an owner at. I no longer work there. But, you know, in a a space of about five years, we grew from 40 people to over 50, I think. We're about 75. The business is about 75 now. And in trying to shape that company, what really came to me more than anything else and trying to learn how to really run a company that was growing faster than my own knowledge was I really turned to culture as the number one part to build that company. And that's really what we still contribute our success to over at Packworkers. What specifically did you do to make sure that the culture was such that everybody there can succeed, not just the lawyers, but everybody at the firm? Well, what we started with was sort of money more than anything, right? Like companies talk all the time about the success of the individual, you know, growing in this with the success of the company itself. And most of them just talk a good game, but don't actually do it. And and bottom line is first, they want to know that they're being paid well, right? They want to know that they can pay the rent, that they can buy groceries for their kids, that they can save for future, that And that's the first place that we sort of start with. And then really making sure that they understand that they have a future there and that we're invested in them. There's a lot of different moving parts to a company culture. And I don't think that a law firm is really any different 
than other companies. Um, I know about law firms and I know the challenges that law firms themselves or lawyers have. And, and you know, I tell a story in the, in the book, I was on my way to go uh, do a speaking event before the book was written and I'm on a plane and I'm flying and there's a guy sitting next to me and he has a really successful, really niche practice. And I said, how many people do you have? And he said, we have, you know, five lawyers. And I said, well, how many people do you have? And he said, oh, we have 20, right? Lawyers count their firms in the number of lawyers rather than the number of people, right? And as soon as you start doing that, you've, you've sort of lost the game. And that's the rub, right? Because you need other people to help you get the work done. Yeah, any law firm that's worth their salt better be taking care of the people that are on the front lines from the people opening the mail to, you know, the back office processors, right? They have to take care of these people. It's just there's no other way. You started this topic by talking about paying your people well. Money's not always the driving factor in any job or law firm, wherever. It's people want to feel autonomy and want to have some responsibility. And that's important to building the culture, too. Absolutely. There's no question. There's so many different things that go into building a great culture from, you know, I am a true believer that the job of a boss, the job of the leader of the company is to provide hope for everybody that's there. When you start doing things like that and thinking about your job in those almost esoteric terms, then you've got to start. Because when you're providing hope for people, it's, you know, that person who's sitting there answering the phone who has kids you know, is just as important and is sitting there thinking about the exact same things that the lawyer's thinking about. You know, how am I going to get my kid to a good college? And how am I going to provide a good life for my kids? And so, yes, it's about money, but it's also about that side of hope. It's about where am I going next? We, you know, had a motto, the seat you occupy is temporary. How fast you want to move to the next seat is up to you. And then there's Many other things that go into creating a great culture from processes and procedures to accountability measures, you know, being a great culture isn't necessarily, you know, it's not about the foosball table in the break room. It's not about great coffee. Those are the byproducts of things that you can provide to make it a good experience during the day. But a great culture is really about the accountability, about the language that you use, I mean, the root word of culture is cult. You're building a cult, right? And all the great companies do it, right? You can't say that Apple isn't a cult. Tesla is a cult. These are cults from the people who work there all the way down to all the users. And you're trying to do the same thing. You're trying to build a fan base. For lawyers, they're trying to build a fan base that has to do with the product that any lawyer is providing. You know, at the end, when you ask them to give a review, of your business, you know, maybe they give you a review, maybe they don't. You want to set it up for the type of success and the type of extraordinary experience that somebody is going to leave you a raving review. You want to set up the employees in the same way that those employees would give you a rave review. Hey, what's it like to work there? It's fantastic, right? That's what you want them to respond to. You know, I know quite a few, I live in the Bay Area, I know quite a few people who work at Salesforce. They're not going anywhere. They love working there, right? Once you start to figure that stuff out, you start to cut down on turnover. You start to have the machine run itself. You know, I'm talking to you right now from 
Costa Rica, which I spent a lot of time. It's where I wrote the book. I spend two, three months a year here. Not many lawyers get to say that. I get to say that because I helped build a team at my law firm that grew to the point where I didn't need to be there anymore. My goal was to give hope and become obsolete. And it's what allowed me to turn the reins over to my law partner and go off and start another company. Speaking of which, I can only assume you're taking some of these lessons you've learned about building culture to your new company, Creators Legal. But before I get there, I want to talk about your background because it's pretty varied. You started out in the entertainment world. You were at a talent agency for a while. And then ultimately, for a long time, you worked for Amaru Entertainment, which was the, the company behind Tupac. How, how does that come to be? Well, I was a private lawyer. You know, I started out as a lawyer, really focused on the sports and entertainment world. I had some really early success working with some, you know, first round draft picks and some really great uh, agents that kind of brought me into that world. And then I ended up going to a talent agency. Then I ended up at Sony Pictures producing movies, came back, missed actually just practicing law. And one of my clients was the Tupac Shakur estate. And I worked with them for almost 18 years. And um, I had all sorts of, had a couple of hundred athlete clients during that time. A lot of producers, writers, filmmakers, authors, artists. I'm always fascinated by the achievements of mankind. And, you know, so one of my clients was, uh, you know, Olympic uh, gold medalist boxer. Another used to, you know, is one of the premier wingsuit adventure explorers. I'm not going to be one of those guys. I'm not going to be one of those people. But I do like working with, I really did like working with those people who really set their sights on things and accomplish goals. So you mentioned you worked with a lot of athletes. So I got to assume legal work wise, you were doing, you know, what we'd expect, you know, contracts, deals, the entertainment stuff, you, you talk about working in movies, you ask for Pacific workers, that's actually a workers comp practice with a focus on athletes. So I want to hear how you make this turn from what I'll call traditional, what most people think traditional entertainment work to workers comp for athletes. Well, like a lot of people in 2008, I had my lunch handed to me. I had to make a pivot. I also really started to think it's funny. Um, for many years, I ran a not a solo practice, but a small practice and experienced the struggles that a lot of solo or small firm lawyers struggle with. And uh, an old law clerk who I'm still very close with said, you know, you taught me everything I know about business. You just never did it yourself. And so uh, I kind of, you know, took some of those comments that he was making to heart. But I had to pivot. And we went from representing athletes in their daily legal lives and uh, entertainers, et cetera, to doing workers' comp for pro athletes. I mean, it's, you know, the, the, the backstory to that is, I was seeing a lot of stuff that was that was not right with a lot of my athlete clients who I'd become friends with. And I read the Malcolm Gladwell article that came out in about 2009, I think, about concussions in football. And so I decided I wanted to help them in a different way. And we started the workers' comp firm for athletes. We actually don't do it anymore. And we don't specialize in the athletes anymore. We found a lot more satisfaction of pivoting our form of how we did things and customer service to the general community. And the majority of our clients now are healthcare workers and restaurant workers and firefighters and cops and construction workers. They seem to need, you know, better help than most. When we come back, 
Eric talks about leaving the practice of law to launch a legal tech company. This podcast is brought to you by Percipient, a legal services company powered by technology. Percipient helps legal teams tackle legal operations, electronic document review, and process automation. Percipient services include managed document review, subpoena compliance, cyber incident response, and also helps legal teams provide clients with process-driven legal support. To learn more, visit percipient.co. Percipient. Legal services powered by technology. We'll go back to my conversation with Eric Farber in just a second, but as I always do, I want to let you know at tlpodcast.com, there's a dedicated episode page for every episode we have on Technically Legal. On that episode page, you'll find more information about our guests and links to some of the stuff we talk about. Also, if you want to subscribe, you can find us pretty much anywhere you get podcasts, Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, et cetera, et cetera. And while you're there, if you like us enough, hope you give us a good review and tell a friend. Okay, let's get back to my conversation with attorney Eric Farber, the founder of Creators Legal. It's late 2019, and Eric has been a successful entertainment lawyer, started a thriving workers' compensation legal practice, and he even wrote a book. So what does he decide to do? Found a legal tech company. Creators Legal was actually an idea that I had probably 10 years ago, and it was a little bit of that rock in the shoe, and I was kind of surprised that nobody had ever done it. But a couple of different things had happened. But, you know, I know that the majority of contracts that go out there and the majority of deals are fairly standard deals that are getting done. And I saw throughout my career, I saw a lot of really, really bad deals because people, especially on the independent level, are putting stuff together that just doesn't, they don't have access to these contracts. The majority of people in America can't afford a lawyer. The vast majority of creators are, you know, making $50,000 or less. So in many ways, we are an access to justice company in the same way LegalZoom really is. We're serving a marketplace that is completely unserved, not just underserved, but unserved. The average person in America can afford one and a half hours of a lawyer in their savings. So when you've got the average lawyer in America at 350 an hour, the average contract at almost seven grand, they can't afford this stuff. We knew that there was a marketplace and a large marketplace, especially because of the numbers of creators that are out there. You know, you're a podcaster, right? And it isn't hard. These walls of distribution are gone. Let's face what reality is. A podcast is a radio show, right? You're not getting on NPR or PBS. There's very, very limited distribution for, for, for shows. Now that all of these different platforms exist, that's just a direct marketplace. And the same thing exists in film and music and publishing and theater, the walls of distribution, these intermediaries that were there, that got to decide whether they liked your podcast or not, no longer exist. You don't have to rely on them. In fact, it's killing the agencies. It's killing the, the you know, there've been mass layoffs at all the media, the major media companies. Why? Because the independents don't need them anymore. And the majority of it was always independents. And then it was a matter of how do I get it out there for people to see? That's interesting because I thought about this when we first started talking about getting you on the podcast, this access to justice issue. Like I think generally when people think of that, they think, ah, oh, the landlord dispute because the tenant can't pay rent or the collection suit from the overzealous credit card company. Your point is very well taken because many of the artists out there are not making a ton of money, not making, sometimes making no money. They do need legal help because we've heard all these stories from the beginning of time where somebody made this great piece of art 
and it got exploited and they didn't see a dime from it. So I, I like the point you're making about the access to justice angle. And what really happened, I mean, there's a couple of different stories in it, but, you know, uh, I was working with somebody who had, you know, this huge amount of footage and had never perfected their chain of title. They still had a camera operator that they needed to get, uh, they needed to get a signature from, and that person died before they could get the signature, right? If stuff like this existed, it would have happened in minutes, you know? The other was, is there's a guy named Ryan Kugler, who's from Oakland. He's become one of the biggest producers, writers, directors in Hollywood. He's a brilliant, brilliant guy. He did a movie called Fruitvale Station. Right. And, good good uh, movie. Great movie. Yeah, great movie. The lawyer for the Oscar Grant family calls me up. And he says, hey, do you have a contract for me for Life Rights? There's this local filmmaker who wants to make a you know movie. And I, when I was in L.A. at the time, I went up to my hotel room. I still remember and you know got on my computer and sent it over to him. Never heard about it again. I assume it's the one they used. I actually uh, had dinner with Ryan Coogler several years later and had forgot, kind of forgotten about it. But the point is, is this stuff needs to be documented and it's not that hard and it can be done by the creators themselves. They don't have to go through lawyers to get it done. You have these stories, you got these examples. At what point, you said it's a stone in your shoe. When do you say, I'm gonna take the stone out of my shoe and, and fix this, I'm gonna address this? So there's a guy named Charles Michael Yim, who's a serial entrepreneur. He got known because he was on Shark Tank. He had a company called Breathometer. He was the first guy to get all five sharks, million dollars. And he's a good friend of mine. And I said, hey, I got this idea. I want you to come look at it. And I laid it out. And he said, this is great. I'll help you out. Right. And he's one of, still to this day, he's one of our advisors. And I started to get serious about it when I was able to, to breathe outside of law firm. I mean, I spent five years just grinding. And then I decided to build it. And that's about the time of the pandemic. When I got done, my book was published. And then I decided to turn my attention to this. And so what do you call your official launch date? It was in July. Yeah, at the very end of July. I mean, I think it took us probably a you know, week to make sure everything was up before we, uh, before we actually turned the light on. And so what were you doing during the pandemic to get this going? You say that's kind of when the ball got really rolling. What were you doing? What were the steps you were taking? Oh, man. Uh, building, right? We were doing a little bit of fundraising. I decided to fund quite a bit of myself. We're now going out again. We're actually part of the Duke uh, Law Tech program, which uh, our demo day is this Friday. And I was just building. We were designing what it needed to be. We were building contracts. We were building the, you know, the, the system itself and the back end working with developers, building a team together. And there's five of us now that are doing it. So we've, uh, you know, done some friends and family round and, and um, now, you know, headed into a seed round and uh, out there just, you know, grinding like, uh, you know, they talk about the tech startup, but it's very similar to building any business, right? It's a daily grind. <laughs> that is that is very true, the daily grind. So developer-wise, did you have a dev shop through this? You got developers on staff, outsource, how'd you do it? Both. Yeah, both. We had uh, a development company that helped us through the initial build and we have some internal peeps as well. It's interesting because the software, you know, the software development business right now is a very different business than it was even a couple of years ago. Right. If you can't code, you might as well go home. In running Pacific Workers, I learned a lot about jobs and the future of jobs. And they talk about automation a lot. You're in automation, Chad. And what roles are going to be gone? 
right? 20 years from now, they say 47% of American jobs as we know it right now will no longer exist. And um, I'm not sure how true that is, right? That those predictions, because I think a lot of other things will replace it. But I think what's going to replace it is people who can code. So when I talk about this, you know, at all, you know, a friend whose kid says, oh, they want their, their kid wants to go study, uh, you know, yoga or art or whatever it is. And I say, that's fine. Just make sure they're taking the coding classes too. And they sort of look at me strange. And I say, really, you know, Tamara Levitt from Calm, the app Calm has done pretty well for herself as who leads yoga and meditation, right? built a billion dollar business off of uh, meditation. Well, and it's not like the kids aren't on the computer 24 seven anyway. So take 10 minutes a day, anything. I, I try to impress that upon my kids to minimal success sometimes. Yeah. No matter what you do these days, learn to code. So I know you've got a lot of big plans. I know you're raising money, getting this Duke demo day, the incubator there. People go on the site now. It's creatorslegal.com, correct? Yes. What is there right now for creators? Uh, we got a full suite of contracts for indie filmmakers, musicians, indie television is actually being launched this week, live theater, podcasts, social media creators and influencers. And I know I'm forgetting one or two publishers, uh, self-publishing. And we actually have some some interesting sort of general stuff, you know, if you need an NDA, things like that, the, you know, one-sided, two-sided, we've got, got lots of different variations. They're going to find very specific contracts for those industries and those fields. You can go to LegalZoom or Rocket Lawyer right now and get a talent agreement, but there's nothing specific about it. We've got talent agreements in pretty much every one of our categories, so to speak. And they're going to find the ability to get one contract, or they can actually sign up for a subscription model as well, which is as, you know, as cheap as $32 a month if you buy it annually. And I saw there's an electronic signature capability, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, essentially, we're digital contracts that they build through an easy, you know, kind of a simple form builder. You send it out to their counterpart for signature and, uh, and get going. And there's also a repository, store all your documents there? Yeah, we've got a digital briefcase, basically, a digital storage system. And this is really important as lawyers and the people that are out there listening as lawyers, they understand this, that you've got to have what's called a complete chain of title on any production that you've got, that every person that is involved in that production in any way, shape, or form has signed something, making sure that the rights all go back to the production company or the producers, whoever is the rights owner of it. And people understand this from the copyright point of view, because unless you've got a work for hire contract with a photographer, that photographer owns the copyright, right? That is a mainstay. It's the same thing in any of this. So Chad, whoever's helping you produce your podcast, they have rights to it that you've got to make sure are secured. We talked to a lot of producers, a lot of creators that they're all sort of their contracts, if they've got them, are sort of all over the place and Dropbox here or their desktop there. So we wanted to give them one place that they had everything. Very cool. My engineer, Grant, as he's editing this right now, he's going to send me an email about, about these rights you just mentioned. I'm trying to keep yeah. that under wraps. <laughs> You've got get another client coming your way. So what's on the roadmap? What's being built? What's in the future? Well, we want to be the legal solutions for creators, right? And business tools. So the roadmap is a little bit lengthy. We've got a 
horde of new categories coming down the pike uh, from web design development, graphic design, artists. There's so many different types of creators out there these days. And then just continue to listen to what the customers say and try and build accordingly. We've just launched an educational program. And so anybody who's out there listening and their kid might be, you know, or somebody they know might be in an educational program for creators, a film program, a theater program, whatever it is. So one of the things that's next really on the roadmap that we're pretty proud of, we've just launched a education program for anybody in a creative arts program, um, whether that's students or faculty. And we uh, launched uh, a pilot program with CSUN, Cal State Northridge, in their creative arts program. And basically, for anybody who's listening out there, it's, it's $40 a year for complete and full use of the site. And you just can access it by going over the education program. And we're pretty excited about that. We're talking to several schools because the schools are really receptive to making sure that their students, as they're creating, really learn to solidify the, the legal side of everything. Well, very cool. Very cool, Eric. I appreciate your time today. I know people can go to creatorslegal.com, but if they want to get a hold of you or learn more about what you're up to, how do they find you? Twitter, at Real Eric Farber. LinkedIn, pretty easy to find. And Creators Legal, there's probably, you know, a contact if somebody wants to, to uh, get a hold of So that's it for another episode of Technically Legal. As always, we appreciate you listening. If you want to subscribe, you can find us on almost every major podcast platform, including Spotify, Apple, Google, etc., etc. If you want to get a hold of me, you can shoot me an email at cmain at percipient.co. That's C-M-A-I-N at percipient.co. Till next time, thanks for listening, and this has been Technically Legal.